I'm Dr. Jill Weiner. I'm a white woman, a doctor, a meditation teacher, a tapping practitioner, a writer, and I'm an aspiring anti-racist, an identity which I must constantly strive towards, work on, and reevaluate. This podcast amplifies the powerful voices of women and men in all aspects of the anti-racist space, along with some of my own insights and explorations on topic ranging from healthcare to spirituality to criminal justice and beyond in order to provide a nuanced, educational, and honest examination of systemic racism and dominant culture. Before I start, I would like to do a land acknowledgement that this podcast episode is being recorded on the stolen Creek and Muscogee lands. Hey there, I am so excited today to, uh, for our guest today, this is Dr. Angelica Whaley, who is someone that I met on my pelvic floor health journey. Um, She is my pelvic health, uh, pelvic floor physical therapist. And kind of immediately we began um, having conversations that were bigger than, that were about the pelvic floor, but bigger than the pelvic floor. Um, And uh, she's got so much to offer and and share and and teach me and, and the world. So I'm so excited to have her here. Dr. Angelica M. Whaley is a pelvic health physical therapist practicing at the Pelvis Pro in Inman Park in Atlanta, Georgia, owned by female business owner, Dr. Mercy Ortenzi Treister. She received her doctor of physical therapy from Northwestern University in Chicago and has been specializing in pelvic health since graduating. Her passion is treating acute and chronic pelvic pain, and she feels that pelvic health is an intersection of all her interests, physical therapy, public health, and women's health. Her dream is making pelvic health physical therapy services accessible to underserved populations, both both nationally and internationally. Dr. Whaley, thank you so much for joining. I am so excited to have you here. Thank you, Jill. I'm super excited myself. Um, It's been quite a little journey we've been on, so I'm so grateful for you for having me on today. I Yeah, it's been a minute. We had to cancel. I had COVID and there was just like stuck up, but now we're doing it and it is um, game on. So I would love to hear more about how you, not exactly how you came into this world, but like how the world formed you to become uh, a pelvic floor physical therapist and and how you got on this journey. Ooh, that is a special question. So I'll start with kind of what is pelvic health physical therapy, number one, and then I can get into that for sure. Um, But as a pelvic health physical therapist, I'm pretty much treating women across the lifespan. Now, mind you, I always like to say that men have pelvic floors too. There are physical therapists out here, pelvic health physical therapists who treat men, but in our practice, we treat women. And so we're treating women across the lifespan who have pelvic floor dysfunction. So that can be bladder, bowel, sexual dysfunction, while also keeping in mind the rest of the musculoskeletal um, neuromuscular systems within our body so that people can move that the way they want to. So we see people who are not parents have have never had children, women who are in that perinatal period who um, are either pregnant or postpartum, and then women who are perimenopausal, menopausal. And the diagnoses that we see pretty much run the whole gamut of there can be incontinence issues, constipation issues, painful intercourse, um, acute and chronic pelvic pain that has its own um there's so many, there's so many different diagnoses to be quite honest with you. It's like its own realm of contributions as well, but we're pretty much helping people to live their daily lives and be able to sit without an issue and be able to work and take care of their families and 
um, be able to exercise um, without abandon. So we're seeing all sort of different um, conditions. But how I got into this, so um, I grew up, I'm originally from California. I moved to Georgia when I was about eight years old. Um, grew up in a very kind of conservative religious uh, sort of community, pretty much very much like Christian Baptist sort of community. Um, where we did not talk about any of these things. We did not talk about sex, not talking about our bladder. We were not talking about our bowels at all, at all, ever. And so I always think it's so funny that I'm in a space where I'm talking about this every single day, pretty much every single day. It's like so normalized in my mind that sometimes I have to check myself and say, not everybody is comfortable talking about these topics the way that I am comfortable talking about sex and saying the word penis like I do, like that. <laughs> what it is <laughs> um but I my background is in track and field always been super active came from an active family and so movement has been a passion since I was young I essentially always thought I wanted to work with athletes and I came to find out once I was in PT school that that was the last thing I wanted to do mm. athletes have so many resources at their hands that I just realized more of an underserved population would, would fit my role fit what I'm passionate about and who's more underserved than women, women within the US um, specifically. And so that's kind of how that came about. I learned about pelvic health physical therapy once I was in PT school. I had no idea that this whole realm, this subspecialty existed, no idea. And then um, I just had these kind of slow graded exposures to it when I was in PT school. And I was like, that is fascinating. Like there are these muscles that help us pretty much allow us to be intimate, allow us to pee, poop, and do some of these daily functions that we have to do. And I didn't think about that as like a whole realm of, of physical therapy. And so I kind of fell in love with it the more I knew about it. And I also felt that it put me in a space of naturally being able to advocate for women, which is something that I always super like, I was always very interested in, very, very much interested in. But when I was an undergrad at the University of Kentucky, I went on this trip, um, a community service trip as one of the athletes, um, at, like I mentioned, I ran track and we went abroad to Ethiopia and I just got to see a different part of the world and really um, just learn, just learn a different culture. Um, and that's pretty much sparked, that's pretty much what sparked my interest in underserved populations. And so, like I said, um, pelvic health pretty much has been this intersection of physical therapy and movement, um, pelvic health for sure, women's health for sure, um, as well as just serving underserved population, so public health as well. So that's that's my passion. That's how it came about. Um, yeah, that's what I can share for now. I love that. So seeing pelvic health PT as a way to advocate for women. Yeah, it's cool. Like it's it's more than it. it as as we kind of came to early on, it, it's it's more than it's bigger. Yeah, just the pelvic. You know, it's bigger than just physical exercises and and muscles and. Um, 100%. what is the difference between being like, cause I, I have always said pelvic floor physical therapist, and I hear you seeing pelvic health, physical therapist. Can you, it, it's essentially that? interchangeable. Yeah. Essentially. Okay. I just say pelvic health. Um, you can say pelvic floor physical therapy. I think of us as your traditional orthopedic physical therapist, but we do have a, a subset of skills that allows us to evaluate the pelvic floor. So it's, which is pretty much a group of muscles between your pelvis. So like below your lumbar spine, but, but above your femur, essentially it's like the root of our body. 
And so we get to account for those muscles and how they're functioning within a greater system. So I like to say we can be a bit more holistic altogether. Yeah. We're thinking about your abdominals and your abdominal wall. How is that functioning? How is your diaphragm functioning? We are largely manual therapists. So we really are getting our hands onto people and not to say other specialties or other um, specific certifications don't within the PT world, but we're, we're taking another lens and accounting for that within how you're moving as well and vice versa. So I love that's that. What I love that. Yeah. Um, it, it, I like the term pelvic health. It, it, it yeah. does get that more holistic side, um, uh, more clearly. Right. So while we were working together and it's funny because we were talking before hitting record and I was like, I'm not sure how much I'm going to disclose to, uh, on the recording. And then I'm like, that's the whole problem. Like, why, why would it be secret? I mean, it's obviously my personal health, right. but without sharing specific details of, uh, my reasons for coming to see you as I'm, as I'm working with you, I'm like, I'm a 45 year old woman. I'm a doctor. I'm educated. And I do not even know how to pee and poo correctly. Like I have so many habits and so many patterns that are wrong and that are harming my body. And then I'm like, and, and are not in, in touch with what my body really needs or wants. But how on earth did that happen? This is what I was asking myself. And so I guess I want to, it, it ties into so much of what we talk about on this podcast and what you and I have talked about. How, why is it, do you think that this is something that is not talked about? I mean, you said you grew up in an environment where this was not talked about. I don't know if that was your micro family or if that was like your larger community or both, but both for sure. <laughs> but like, what do you, how do you see the factors uh, in our society keeping women from knowing their own bodies? And, and I guess we'll start there. Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's, it's deep and there's, there's layers to it for sure. Um, I would say, Number one, there's so many things stigmatized about all of those subjects and the way sex can be stigmatized, specifically, let's say in my background, growing up in a religious culture and how sex can be talked about specifically, mm. um, the thing you don't do and you don't do it before, before being married and all of those, that sort of, that mindset, that thought about it. And so I think that that plays a role, but then um, there's also, I feel like we I feel like I joke about this all the times with my friends and I probably joke about it with you but patriarchy we're always just like it's the patriarchy like it's just yeah. <laughs> it's always. all yeah it's like always the patriarchy but um it plays a role in how how we can discuss these things and and the way that women can be can be sexualized but stigmatized at the same time I think it plays a role with how how we show up and how we can also um, share and and how we can feel comfortable moving in a space to talk about specifically, you know, what's happening with our bladder, what's happening with our bowel, what's happening with our sexual habits. I think there's there's many layers to it. It's hard to say exactly why it is that way, but I can say as from like a religious standpoint, I 100% understand why because it's stigmatized to just talk about sex in general and what comes with sex those discussion of those specific organs and it's it's all taboo topics that pe make people uncomfortable to be quite honest that's what yeah. i've seen it feels sinister to me it feels like an intentional keeping of keeping women away from knowing their own bodies and and, and 
I mean, I, and I, before I came to see you, I struggled with symptoms that I didn't understand, even again, with my medical background and my doctor's medical background and their partners who I would see on call, all this stuff, like no one even knew. And then like, we finally figured, I think I actually figured it out from an Instagram post and then like came to see you, but like how long that took me to get through, even in the medical system to figure out what was going on with me. And then all the like shame and, and you know, frustration and sadness that came along with feeling like I wasn't working right. Like my parts weren't good enough or something. And it, it feels like society wants me to feel that way about my body. Mm, mm, yeah. Unfortunately, it's such a, yeah, it's a, it's a sad, it's a sad place to be in. It's, it's so unfortunate. And I feel like, like I was telling you before in so many ways, it sounds silly, but if men did have babies, like if they really had babies, we would be in a different place. Pelvic health therapy would be accessible to everyone. There would be all this research related to it that started years and years and years ago. Like pelvic health physical therapy at its start, it did start, I would say, probably about 100 years ago, like the beginnings of it a little bit. And it's definitely progressed since then. But this would have been something that was figured out years and years ago. Maybe centuries ago, there would have been a start. Um, so it it is unfortunate that we're not talking about this. And I feel like it also starts in just like schools. And we think about sexual education and those of us who did maybe get more of a robust education about that. Most of us did not. Um, but it starts there, like just not even having that kind of fundamental education about your body. I remember when I was young, my sex ed class was yeah, we talked about like our, and they separated us. They separated us, boys and girls, because boys can't know about girls things and girls can't know about boys. <laughs> but anyways, they separated us. And I remember we were talking about menstrual cycles and, you know, kind of how to prepare for that. But I, and that was probably when I was in middle school. But I remember in like fourth grade, the only thing I remember about my little bit of a sex ed class was like, if no one should be violating your body so all the places that cover you when you have on a bathing suit no one should be touching like that is the thing that sticks mm -hmm. out in my mind about my sex ed class in fourth grade and it's just like there should be a lot more like yes we want to keep in mind how old people are when let's say they are for when they are in fourth grade but there should be more for us to think about of our bodies and it shouldn't be stigmatized starting young like let's just yeah. get an anatomically of what's going on and how these muscles function because it is a very real thought that children who know the names of their anatomical parts are less likely to be sexually assaulted and sexually abused that is a statistic that is a known fact so we need to know these parts because that is empowering for just even a child to be able to say unfortunately if someone if they were in an unfortunate situation where somebody was predatory towards them to say no do not touch my vagina do yeah. not touch do not touch my penis that is a different type of empowerment and that's where we need to be in the world as far as just protecting our children because mm -hmm. there's a whole other discussion of of stats that can go on about sexual assault and sexual abuse especially of women as well but yeah advocacy there how are what are the ways that you like maybe some of the themes, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of the word, like themes of the way that you are in your visits with women, the things that you're teaching them that they're like, 
not, not, I'm not, I guess not like the medical things that they didn't know, but how are you using this practice? Cause I mean, I experienced it directly. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the ways that you help women combat this, these, all these obstacles? Oh, gotcha. Yeah, definitely. So number one, I think it's empowering just to know like how your body should ideally be functioning, because if you don't know a proper baseline, you don't know what is dysfunction, number one. So I think education is a huge part of that. As a caveat, I often feel like I find myself playing this role of director in helping women find the right provider for them as well. Because even though I'm a pelvic health physical therapist, there's often, and I and I appreciate, and I really enjoy treating acute and chronic pelvic pain, that often requires a multidisciplinary approach it's not always just them coming to see me, but also I want to refer you to this person and this person. And have you thought about this? And so it takes this multidisciplinary approach, I would say. So as being a director in like healthcare in a sense, because we do have direct access here and we can be people's primary care physician in a sense, um, I find myself empowering people in that way, like giving them tools to know like this is abnormal. We need to have this looked at this is the provider you would go to because oftentimes what I see is people don't know who to go to. They don't know where to start. And with anything related to bladder, bowel, sexual organs, reproductive organs, people's first thought is gynecologist. Yeah, that does make sense. That's what we're taught. I get that hundred percent. Maybe that's the first person, but gynecologists have their very specific discipline and what interventions and procedures that they can offer you public health VT is a little bit different. And oftentimes those muscles are also affecting those organs. And so there's that as well. That's some, that's another consideration um, as well. So I feel like what I am constantly doing is just helping being the middleman and helping people direct their care. And I find that this is a theme amongst a lot of pelvic health physical therapists. We're helping people find where they need to be, even if it's not just with us. And maybe it's us and another provider, and maybe it is just us. We were the perfect person for them, but helping people know about their body, know what's normal is empowering in itself, especially with these fundamental functions that we have to do daily. People have to pee, people have to poop, and people are gonna procreate. That's just the world we live in. That's what has to happen. So, um, and there's power in that because it's very disheartening and alarming I find to not have power over those functions. Like imagine, imagine walking down the street and you are essentially peeing on yourself. That is, that is alarming as a woman, you're just, or a man, and you just feel like you don't have control. And that affects how you move throughout the day, what social activities you're going to go to, how you're going to exercise, what can you do at work? Can you sit for that meeting for that's only 20 minutes? I don't know. I may not make it. So these are the things that we are fundamentally helping people be able to do they seem so minuscule and so little, but they can affect so much of what we do. Yeah, that's so amazing. I I feel like you also did such a great job, like touching like the the way that you go about like being respectful of the body Mm -hmm. uh, and and like a trauma-informed approach to- 100%. Like, this is what I'm gonna do now and you'll feel this and this is what's coming next. And this is why I'm thinking this, like really kind of explaining so that nothing feels surprising. I don't know. So if you want to talk about that a little bit and and maybe we can segue a little bit into how trauma shows up um, in your practice. 
Yeah, 100%. Um, that was very important to me to be able to offer trauma-informed care because we are seeing uh, many individuals, specifically in our clinic, women who have a history of trauma. And so that was something that was always valuable to me. It was, it. I feel like it just, we want to be conscious in all that we do, especially being manual therapists and having to touch people. And your physical therapist should be touching you in one way or another objectively to really see what is happening with your body, any physical therapist. Um, and so it was vitally important to me because we are in a space where we could trigger someone, unfortunately. Um, and I never want to be in that space. And I want my clients to be aware of being safe and being able to articulate that and always feeling like they are in control because I'm partnering with you. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm, you're in the driver's seat. I'm the passenger. I'm helping you kind of direct things. And I'm giving you information and I'm providing information. And you're giving me information and we're kind of going back and forth. It's a bit of this dance, but it's very, very important for me that my clients feel safe. And so that's why I always take the time to be as conscious with interventions and assessments as much as possible. And to speak on that, because Part of what makes us different as pelvic health physical therapists is that one way we do assess, I always like to be very clear on this, is that we do do an internal muscle evaluation, typically. Not always called for, but it does allow us to be objective related to those muscles. And just like your physical therapist, if you came in for a biceps tendinopathy, they're going to assess your biceps and all the structures around it, the joints above and below to see what exactly is happening. We ideally would like to assess those muscles depending on if the client is um, comfortable with that. And so it's similar to a pelvic exam if you went to your gynecologist or your gynecologist, but different in the fact that they are assessing objectively your organs and those functions. We are objectively assessing your musculoskeletal and neuromuscular functions and your, your connected to meaning your connective tissue, your nerves to a degree and how they're kind of moving your um your muscles, like I said, your ligaments, your tendons, all of those things we're keeping in mind. So just as a caveat, because I want people to understand the gravity of what we're doing and, oh, and yeah. how we have to be particular and you very right in there. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. and it's not, it doesn't feel invasive the way that it, when it's done correctly, it, exactly. I mean, to me, it didn't, I can't speak for anyone else's experience, but there's a way and, and, you know, I guess if you could talk a little bit about what trauma informed means for anyone listening who doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. For me, for me in particular, it it's like little things that we can really do as therapists. Like for example, I went to this, um, our annual pelvic health, our annual conference, not pelvic health conference, but our annual physical therapy conference. And there's this lovely um, physical therapist. Her name's Lauren Collins. And she had a whole, um, presentation on it, which, and, and that included many other things, but it's honestly why I got into pelvic health physical therapy. That's how I knew that it was for me, but it's little things like, for example, how our room is set up, like not having the table and where the person is laying, having their legs facing the door so that just in case if the door were to be opened up, oh, wow, we're extra exposed. Little things like that. It's, it's using a sheet. It's talking for your touch. All talking before you touch all physical therapists are taught that number one 
But then I like to go above and beyond and really explain, like, this is why I'm doing this beforehand. I like to give a whole kind of explanation of this is what I'm looking for. And then when we do our internal muscle evaluation, this is what I'm palpating, for example, touching, and this is what I'm and this is what I'm finding right now. And then I'm asking you, like, I want you to stay with me and be be aware of what you're feeling. What are you feeling right now? So it's, like I said, it's communication. It's over communication. And I feel like that is being a trauma-informed clinician and offering, offering trauma-informed care. It's constantly over communicating and anticipating and preparing. And sometimes, yeah, answering questions before people have them if, uh, and anticipating what they're wondering, 100%. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're like seriously in the most people in their most vulnerable position, most vulnerable body part, talking about all these things that carry so much shame. So for them to bring that and then you to make them feel safe is yeah. such a gift that you have. How, how do you see, um, in terms of trauma and its, its impact on acute and chronic pelvic pain and, and how that reflects disparities um, yeah. that are present in our society? Yeah, 100%. Great question. So like I said, I do have a passion for treating acute and chronic pelvic pain. And I'll tell this story real quick. So the conference that I went to, it was our annual PT conference. I was still in, in school and um, the physical therapist was discussing sexual assault in communities of color. And I was like, whoa, I have to go to this. Like, what is this about? Related mm -hmm. to therapy, she's a pelvic health physical therapist. And she was sharing all of these different stats related to um, sexual assault and relating it to politics and relating it to history and how um, the field of gynecology kind of came about and so many things. And so, and we walked away with some great steps as, as physical therapists. But within that, I had never specifically heard the statistics related to sexual assault in this country, in this world. And so I had finally heard the specific stat of it's one in five to one in four women, that stat. And that settled in for a moment and it blew my mind because I just thought about it. Like, wow, that is, that is pervasive. Like I knew it was prevalent. I knew that, but I had never heard the stats. So that means that we can count off four women right now or five women right now. And at least one of them would, would have experienced sexual abuse of some sort. And so it really stuck out in my mind because at the time in my personal friend group, I thought about, you know, the 10 closest women to me. Um, and most of my friend group, they're minority women, 10 black women, right? And so to go back to that stat, it's one in five across the board, but in communities of color, it's about 20% higher. So that immediately puts you at two and five, like two and five, wow, 40%. We're just about at 50, like that's, that's pretty insane. And so I thought about my personal friend group, about 10 of the women closest to me, and the number was six, six women who had either been sexually assaulted or had a history of sexual abuse that was ongoing, and I couldn't believe it. And I was just like, oh my goodness, like that is insane. And I wonder how many other women of color are just like me and have seen women in their friend group with the same sort of stats, right? And so it stuck out to me because then we realized that with chronic pelvic pain, pelvic pain in general, that is associated with, um, well, sexual assault in itself is associated with uh, chronic pelvic pain, number one. They are very much associated, that trauma. 
um, there's an association there. But the subsequent diagnosis, like the most, um, the most common diagnosis uh, in addition to that is IBS. And so I was like, what, there's this connection here, like this connection of having a history of trauma, having um, pelvic pain, and then having IBS. And it was just like your body and how it can kind of internalize things. And there's all this research now coming out about this for sure. Um, and like your, your enteric nervous system and it being like the second brain and that brain gut axis. And I just find that all so fascinating, but it's just this thought of how your body can manifest what you may have experienced and how your nervous system can kind of change. And then when you think about that happening chronically, how your nervous system changes, how it processes pain in general, and it can become longstanding. And so it was just so interesting to me. And I thought about my own friend group and I have, you know, I have a friend who has dyspareunia, who has pain with intercourse. I have a friend who has IBS. I have a friend who deals with chronic yeast infections, chronic um, UTIs, those types of things. And that is that can commonly be pelvic floor dysfunction or there's a, a relationship there that can be a contributor. And so that stuck out to me. Number one, it was just like, this is no longer you know, women over there who deal with these issues. These are, this is my group. Like these yeah. are, I see all the time that I talk to all the time dealing with these issues. And so it became a lot more personal for me um, to get into this field as someone who, who likes to help people. Like I think all physical therapists want to help in some way. And we, we find that rewarding, but wanting to be a healer to a degree as much as I can, because I give people tools to, treat themselves, to heal themselves, but wanting to be a healer, wanting to be an advocate and wanting to see people be able to take charge of their lives and not just have pain or discomfort rule their lives at every end. And so, um, yeah, that's, that was a bit mind blowing for me and really the crux. I think I answered your question in a roundabout way, but you definitely did. You definitely did. And thank you for the way you kind of connected it in sharing how you connected it into your own friend group as well. I think knowing those, because knowing those numbers, two in five yeah. black women have experienced sexual abuse or assault. I mean, that's mind blowing. It is. And then the society that propagates that or that perpetuates that. And then, yeah. and then the way that women are treated who come in with pelvic pain. I guess, if you want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, so there can be so many where- Real quick, what, I want to clarify my question. I don't mean like how you physically approach diagnostically a woman with pelvic pain, but I mean like how society yes. treats women with pelvic pain and like what they have to go through in order to get to you. Yes, I was following you too. Okay. Um, exactly. There's so many times and I was, uh, I'm always reading, but anyways, I was- reading the body keeps the score again. And so this is so perfect, but there's so many times where women have to go to practitioner after practitioner after practitioner before they find us who may be someone that can really help them. Or what I often see is women are, are given maybe medications constantly, even though they may not necessarily have an actual positive UTI with a positive mm -hmm. um, culture, that sort of thing happens. And that's often a sign of um, pelvic floor dysfunction, like constantly having UTI sort of symptoms, but not actually having uh, an infection. 
but that's what we find. And I, and I also, I hear so many stories and they are heartbreaking. Um, just about how women may be, may be laughed at during their, their pap smear or just be told to relax, just relax your muscles. Like they have control over it, especially someone who has vaginismus, which is essentially like an involuntary spasming of your pelvic floor muscles that inhibits penetration of any sort. And there's so many reasons why that can happen. It can be very much psychological. And um, there's research that has shown that it can be related to religious trauma. Hmm. Well, but hearing story after story like that, where people are told to just relax or just go drink some wine or um, uh, it's just, I can't describe how it makes me feel because it's just so much deeper than that. And people don't quite understand it. And it's the ignorance behind like painful intercourse and not quite knowing exactly why that is existing. But we see it time and time again, where people are run through the gamut of, of medications or um, doctor after, after doctor misdiagnosing them. And so when they come to us, the idea is that at least we can get to what is happening physically that is contributing to your, your dysfunction, 100%. And who else can help you? What else can, who else can we bring onto the team that can really help you as well? And we're not even just thinking about the physical contributions. We are thinking about psychologically what's happening. That's why I, I love neurophysical therapy altogether. So I'm, and I'm super into pain neuroscience. And so that's always something that I'm trying to bring into my practice because it's, it's deeper than just what's happening physically is what I'm finding. I'm hearing, I'm hearing so many ways that white supremacy culture shows up in all of that, because mm -hmm. like, if it's not, if I don't understand it, therefore they must be wrong. Right. That's the, that's the approach that I had as a dog. I mean, it's like, not them, it's me. Like it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, I don't want to say us, including you, but like, it was me as part of a bigger system. Yeah. Oh, it's this patient with this chronic pain. I don't understand. I wasn't taught about it. Therefore they must be crazy or making it up or drug seeking, or just like psychosomatic, which like is somehow seen as a bad thing. Right. Uh, you know, all this stuff, it's like only one right way. There's, you know, this paternalism, I'll make this decision for them. I, I know what's right um, either, or, I mean, there's all these different things for, for, I, that's a lot of the stuff that Maisha and I teach about is uh, characteristics of white supremacy culture and how it shows up. But like, mm -hmm. this is it. like, this is how healthcare harms people. When we don't listen and we assume because of our view that we're better or right or somehow know more about people's bodies than they know about their own body. Right, right. And I'm always literally telling people that like you are the expert in you. Nobody knows your body better than you. So if something just started happening, you are most likely right. There may be something off. Do we have to go through steps to kind of figure out what is the root of this? What were the changes? What is contributing? A hundred percent. But you are the expert in you and nobody can tell you differently. Yeah. And like, when do we ever get told that as women? <laughs> exactly. White women. So like I was told it probably more, but like, you know, you are the expert in you. Yeah. Okay. What if we told everyone that like, and believed it and, and, you know, not just told them that, but actually treated them that way. 100%. Um, wow. That's amazing. Um, I'd love to shift gears a little bit to black maternal health. Um, yeah. and 
for anyone listening, you know, we can talk who doesn't, who isn't already familiar with, with all the disparities, but how you see that show up and in, in your practice, um, and the work you do. Yeah. Um, so unfortunately one thing about pelvic health physical therapy right now is I feel like black women, of course, and underserved population, minorities in general and underserved population, I feel like the way it is most commonly practiced is not super accessible for the common population. Most times um, there can be this, it's private pay, it's private practice typically. And so depending on insurance, depending on what insurance you have, all these different things, you may be able to be reimbursed. So I feel like that's one like limiting factor, number one, just to speak on that. And so me as a practitioner, I'm trying more and more to just get women to know about pelvic health, physical therapy, um, so that they, they can know about it. They know that there's there are people who can help. Um, there are people who want to help. There are people who want to advocate for them and finding ways to really fill in that gap and bridge bridge that gap, no matter what it is, because people want to be helped. And so I always like to think, I've heard this before, like we are not, this is a caveat, but like we are not the arbiters of people's money and how they spend it. Like they want to be helped. And so it is our job to just give them the resources, give them access as much as we can, education as much as we can, and show up the best we can to really um, help them out. But in my practice, I would say one way that I specifically am trying to combat Black maternal mortality rates is just helping women be in the best situation they can be starting off um, when they are going into pregnancy and then also just labor and delivery itself. So um, ideally it's been shown that like the less interventions you have altogether, the less complications you would have going into birth. And so that is a, that is a huge deal. And so sometimes it can be a matter of choosing the right facility that values that as well. I would say. And so whether that's a birth center or a home birth and mind you, you have to be able to, um, be in the right I guess, status, essentially, um, as far as health goes, to be able to give birth in one of those those formats. But number one, just choosing a provider or or a center or facility that values your concern. I always try to tell. It's more about me educating people to be in the best sort of situation that they can. So I always try to tell my my clients. Um, you know, ask said facility about their, what are their, what are their C-section rates? What are their rates of vaginal delivery? What are their rates of um, forceps delivery? All of these different things. And then there's different, um, there's honestly an app actually that was um, created by, she's a journalist. Her name is Kimberly Seals Allers. Um, it's called the Earth app. And it's essentially a Yelp-like app where people can come on and leave reviews about providers um, and their experiences with providers so that other women um, can, can also find said provider and just have resources and just be in the know about who would be a great um, provider for you during birth. And so- What is that called again? The Earth app. Earth app, okay. That's what I wrote down, but okay. Yeah, I-R-T-H, yep the earth app. Um, and so for me, as far as like how I'm actually seeing it show up, what I'm trying to do is 
combat a negative situation. There's so much out of my control as a pelvic health physical therapist, but as we're preparing labor, we're preparing people for labor, like different birthing positions, talking about breathing mechanics and proper ways to take care of your body during that time and how you can just be advantageous to your pelvic floor during that time and thinking about how your hips may be aligned or your pelvis may be aligned so that you have less um, side effects or sequelae that happen from that birth. That is my way of really trying to empower women during that time as well, along with giving them said resources and, and, and recommending oftentimes a doula for those of us who are minorities because they have time and time again been able to show how what a resource they are during that time in preparing in preparing um in preparing mom or i don't want to say mom but birthing persons and their support system um during that time and so time and time again they've been shown to to really limit c-section rates and and just birthing complications altogether and so for me it's really about preparing people as much as I can. I can't change all the things that happen in said facility, but what I can do is prepare you. And that's what I try my best to do. That's so beautiful. That's, I mean, the amount of impact, it's so funny, like (laughs) pelvic floor, not something you knew about at all until you got to physical therapy training. Yeah. Not something anyone talks about. And then knowing about it and being trained in it and all the impact you can have on all of these like huge different ways mm-hmm. um all of which we're not told anything about <laughs> no <laughs> um fortunately not at all yeah yeah well thank you for all of the amazing work you do um how how can i know you work in a private practice um which uh we can put their information in the, in the show notes how can people like follow what you have to say? Do you have um, like ways people can contact you or or learn from you? Yeah, so I am. I won't lie to you. I'm not the biggest social media person. Our clinic is. We have we have all the information that we we try to share. But um, I do like to share information every now and again on social media, and I'm I'm hoping to <laughs> change my mind about social media real soon. <laughs> uh, but my social media, I can share with you. It's it's not like one of those easy sayings, but it's pretty much my name. And there's like a, a dash in between, but it's A-N-G-E-E underscore L-I-C-A-A. And so it's like my, my personal Instagram, but also a little bit, a little bit educational sometimes. Um, but always emailing me, emailing me um, is a great way. DM me if you have any questions. Um, I love talking about pelvic health. I love posting something. And then I have, you know, different people hopping into my DMs and picking my brain. I love that. Whether it's a practitioner, it's, you know, any person, like I love that discussion and just educating people so that they know that, you know, we're always here. I'm always here um, and want to be a resource and want to help people, want to help people have the health that they want, like all together, like really achieve that have the life and the quality of life that they want that is not limited so I'm all about answering questions and I love discussion I especially love discussion between practitioners so that we can find ways to to partner and and help each other out and just get our people better I love it what is the email that you prefer people to reach out um you can use angelica at the pelvispro.com it's where I work um yeah Awesome. I'm checking that all the time. 
<clears throat> I will put that uh, and your social media and I'll put information on the pelvis, pelvis pro as well. I uh, recommend myself that practice as well. Everything is uh, wonderful there. Um, well, Dr. Angelica Whaley, thank you so much for joining me today and just teaching me even more than you've already taught me and um, making such a difference in this world and, and for being who you are. Of course. Thank you so much. Thank you for the honor of inviting me on here to speak with you because it's always a pleasure talking to you. You too. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Conscious Anti-Racism. Please be sure to follow or like us wherever you find your podcasts and also consider leaving a rating or review. You can follow Conscious Anti-Racism on Instagram and Twitter at Jill Wiener, MD, J-I-L-L-W-E-N-E-R-M-D. And please check out our Conscious Anti-Racism book on Amazon.